This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Well, that was promising, wasn't it? Six goals as a relentless England dismantled a really not as good as we thought they might be Iran. Bellingham bossing midfield, great performances from the whole front line. In fact, hard to say anything, but that was really, really good. Real bravery from the Iranians not to sing the anthem while England and the rest of the One Love Collective back down after FIFA again act like the FIFA we've grown accustomed to. Meanwhile, a game of two halves between the US and the Welsh. George Weah's son, better than George Weah's cousin, cancelled out by Gareth Bale. Kiefer Moore changed the game. Also a win for the Netherlands over Senegal in the tedious afternoon slot. Edward Mendy not having his best night. The big question, is the Dutch kit orange enough? There's all that, plus your questions. And we'll add 15 minutes injury time just to fit in. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Nader Manuha, welcome. Hello, Max. How are you? I'm very good. Uh, John Bruin, hello. Hello. And Barry Glendenning, how are you? I'm I'm very well, thanks, Max. Johnny says, what route will England take on the parade and how much of it will be impacted by low-hanging Christmas lights? Will says, given the inclement recent weather, will England need a closed-top bus for when they parade the trophy in December? Uh, before I chat to the panel, I caught up with Barney Ronay from the Khalifa International Stadium, and this is what he had to say. Barney, um, I think that was about 116 minutes of entertainment for you. How did you find it? Yeah, it was weird. I mean, at times we wondered if it was ever going to end. Um, you sort of looked up and there's still <laughs> somehow there's 20 minutes to go. And it's been going on for three weeks. But it was um, the first half was really good. Um, and England, England were good. I'm really pleased for them. I'm pleased for uh, Saka and Bellingham, who... Both were fantastic um, and fantastic when the game was live and real and you feared that it was going to be one of those games where it all snarls up. Iran were literally, I think they completed something like six passes in the opening 30 minutes and and that was fine. That's a kind of Carlos Kirosh master plan um, and you feared it was going to become one of those, you know. But uh, the goal, the, the Bellingham goal really changed everything and it was a brilliant goal. I was so pleased for him. Uh, I think it's the youngest. There's a lot of Bellingham facts around. Have you got Bellingham facts? Oh, like, many. Loads yeah. of Bellingham facts. I think. Hit my, me with some facts. Well, my Bellingham fact is I think it's the youngest goal ever scored at a World Cup with his head by an Englishman. And and it, right. uh, yeah, does that mean anything? I don't know. It means a great deal to me. Yeah, it makes me feel good for some reason. I don't know why. 
Um, but it was a brilliant header, brilliant. I thought it was deflected first, but he kind of looped it over and he was really good. He was everywhere and he played completely. He can do anything. You know, he, he obviously have much tougher tests than Iran who were really poor. Uh, they, you know, he sat their coach two months ago and got Kirosh back in. There's been real problems behind the scenes in the national anthem. Uh, there's obviously a bit going on in Iran. Um, and England will play against proper midfield, so they might need a bit more help in there. But it was great to see those two getting their positioning right. They haven't played together that often. Rice and Bellingham, they, 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 they played the right way together. It looked really good, promising. Um, and Saka was really good. He did the right thing, dribbling at the Iranian defence, making them make decisions. And uh, yeah, England were good. It, was like, it felt like a football match happened. Did, did the atmosphere feel like that? It's a strange stadium. It's, it's the stadium where Jack Cox uh, died, fell to his death. He was significant because for a while he was one of the three deaths that Qatar essentially couldn't deny had happened. This felt like an odd occasion for that reason. The stadium is magnificent, beautiful, and you kind of think, what is it for exactly? But hey-ho, you know, there was a game of football as well, and we, we're not going to give up on the football. And it felt like, I, at that moment, I felt like Bellingham had kind of gate-crashed the scene. He'd made something real happen. And it was good. And I was really pleased and proud of him and proud of England. They, they played well against a poor team and it will be good for Gareth Southgate. It means that I feel they'll, they'll go into the other games feeling good, which means they'll, they'll probably get out of the group fairly easily. Um, and we can start thinking about the, the agonies to come. Uh, what do you make of the you know, FIFA saying you can't wear the armband and England saying, OK, we won't wear it? What did you make of that? Well... I think that it should be said that Harry Kane um, has been a really quite profoundly insistent and very natural advocate for LGBTQ plus rights. He's done a lot of stuff. He's done quite a few things with Spurs and with England. He's just a good bloke. Um, he, he's not, it's not like Beckham, it doesn't feel showy, it's like, look at me, he doesn't want to be on the cover of SU magazine. He's just a, a good guy, and it's really nice to see this quite quiet person who's quite obviously feels this quite deeply. He's a genuine ally and advocate, and I admire it, and I think he's exactly the kind of person who probably get that message across. So I'm not going to accuse him of doing something wrong by not wearing this slightly ludicrous armband of tolerance. Um, I think the point has been made... It, it, the, the benefits of that kind of thing are really domestic. I don't think it's going to change anyone's opinion in Qatar or anywhere else, really. But he has been a really good figure within our culture and where people are maybe willing to listen and where there's, uh, those kind of gestures can actually have an effect. So I don't criticise Harry Kane at all. He's put in an impossible position and he has done his best and he will do plenty of other things to make it quite clear that the England team are a very kind of accepting, tolerant, nice bunch of fellows. So uh, it's become a FIFA, FIFA an, an argument between FIFA and the FA, uh, which, you know, that can, that can go on. And finally, slightly less importantly, um, uh, Wilson was actually quite complimentary in reviewing you as a, a roommate in what I see as a kind of remake of Men Behaving Badly. Uh, how is it going? Good. Wilson is neat. He's neat. He's meticulous. He's precise. He, um, he, he stocked the fridge before I turned up. That was good. And with really healthy stuff, you know, good nuts, um, uh, dried fruits, berries, you know, he, he just goes to bed. He just says, that's it. I'm going to bed. And he's off. I mean, he's actually a model roommate uh, in many ways. And I, it's a relationship I could see developing, you know, it's, um, 
there's, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. Well, it's one that the listeners will no doubt want to know a lot about. Thank you, Barney. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. By the end of the World Cup, I imagine Barney and Wilson will have their own reality show. Um, Barry, where are you on the England might win the World Cup fearometer? <laughs> uh, barely a flicker so far, but that was a very impressive performance. Five different scorers and no goals yet from Harry Kane. Uh, brilliant on set pieces, brilliant with the ball, brilliant without the ball. The formation, the four at the back, which I think they should play most of the time, if not all of the time, allowed um, Jude Bellingham to get forward and he was outstanding. He's incredibly mature for such a young player on and off the pitch. And um, it's difficult to imagine how that could have gone any better for England, but you have to put the caveat that Iran were pretty pathetic. Nadam, it's hard to gauge, as Barry says, how good that was given how bad Iran were and much worse than we all thought they would be. Um, Who impressed you the most? I think the obvious thing to say would be Jude Bellingham, but I I thought Declan Rice played very well as well. You know, the jobs that he's left with are the ones which don't really cause a lot of like excitement as he presses somebody and sweeps up and moves the ball sideways. You know, it's, it's, it's dull, but it's very, very needed and very effective. I thought the fullbacks played well. I thought the front line overall played well. So, you know, I would lean into Bellingham, but, as I say, I thought it was a really good performance. And although we could say Iran aren't the best team ever, I think they felt like they were considerably better than, say, Qatar yesterday. And given the fact that Ecuador, who looked like they're okay, they're a half-decent team, only managed to score two goals, only have five shots on goal in general. I think that was a good performance from England because it could have been very easy to get complacent. And another thing, we, it, we're sort of like semi-normalising scoring six goals in a World Cup. That doesn't that doesn't ever really happen. I think if it was a club game, then maybe. But I think six games against anyone in a World Cup is very impressive. And as for the five go- uh, different goal scorers, like uh, Barry said, you know, it's the reasons to be cheerful for those who uh, want England to do well, and for those that don't, like you know, you've seen something which may be able to get them further along in this tournament than other times gone by. Colin Miller says, uh, "Are you not concerned England are using up too much of their goals quota?" For the tournament in this game, John. I mean, do, do we want to list the goals? Do you want to pick out your favourite? I'd go with Bellingham as as the, my favourite goal, and obviously the, my favourite player. Um, I think Nader makes a very good point, which is that in years gone by, had England started the tournament with a six-two win, uh, maybe in a more tabloid era, let's put it that way, the fuss would have been absolutely enormous. Uh, and okay, this is a slightly different time of year. And uh, it's it's not the summer, but uh, the silly season. But this that that performance and that level of performance from actually so many players would have would have caused absolute hysteria. Now, of course, uh, we do have the rather forced scenes from Croydon Box Park with uh, beer being thrown, presumably Bud Zero these days. But yeah, it, it was it was a highly professional performance. Um, Gareth Southgate. The coach that is accused of not putting the handbrake, putting the handbrake on, put out an attacking team with Bellingham doing that job and Declan Rice, who, you know, my memory of of him is running out of puff in the Euro twenty twenty final because he has to do so much running, not given so much of a creative role and more more um, sweeping up, working hard. And I suppose actually, if, if I was to think of another goal and we cast it back to Euro twenty twenty, was it forty nine seconds it took Marcus Rashford to come on, slot that home. Uh, when you've got subs coming on, making that type of impact, as Callum Wilson did without scoring, all looks well. Bakayo goal. 
um, who presumably likes Bukayo Saka, Nadam says, is Saka better than Mbappe? I'm definitely not overreacting. <laughs> <laughs> well, he scored more goals than him at this World Cup, so obviously he is. <laughs> you know, that the truth is in the data. No, he's, Saka on that right-hand side, he, he's, he's looking very, very good at the moment. I don't think all his games today was perfect or anything, but as is the case with sort of him for playing for the club side, they want to go and just take the game to you, really affect it in a positive manner. And it is really, really good to see. And another thing, really, you know, the last time um, we saw... England playing a major tournament. It was with a couple of these players missing penalties and getting a lot of grief. Now, all of a sudden, the turnaround, here they are. They're playing and they're stars for the England side. So it's good. I'm, I'm delighted for them. And like like I was, like John was saying, like six goals and Saka taking and getting a brace. Like these are, these are their first goals in the World Cup. This is These are literally their first goals in the World, World Cup. And we're almost looking at it. So yeah, that was okay. But on this particular occasion, for me, I don't think the butt matters. I think those were great goals. Those are some really good performances. And like there, there are reasons to be cheerful, I feel. And actually, Barry, I feel because of all the stuff we've done before this World Cup and all the stuff we've talked about off the pitch, kind of in my mind sort of felt, well, the players are probably feeling it's a bit muted um, in the same way that, that, that we are. And obviously... It means a lot to footballers to score in the World Cup. Like, like, like. Obviously, they're really excited when the ball hits the back of the net. Yeah, it's a huge thing. I mean, it's a real milestone just to play at a World Cup and then to score at a World Cup, uh, because very few players are ever going to get the opportunity to win a World Cup. They obviously were having fun today. It was probably a lot easier than they thought it might be, and. Um, Hats off, by the way, to Jack Grealish for keeping his promise to that kid who who visited him at the, uh, I think it was the city training ground. He'd promised him he'd do a certain celebration with his next goal, and he did it. Uh, so that kid will be absolutely thrilled tonight. Um, but, I, I, you know, it wasn't the best goal, but I think my favourite was nearly Callum, um, Grealish's because Callum Wilson, I would have expected him to take that shot himself and score and and he'd have his goal at a World Cup. But he incredibly unselfishly elected to pull back to Grealish who's in a better position. And that I thought that spoke volumes actually about Wilson and, and just England. I might I may well be reading too much into it. That was I'll be honest, that's that's it's over the top because it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things just yet. But in terms of watching England at a World Cup or a major event, that's one of my favourite 90 minutes that I've seen in my lifetime. I mean, you say 90, I mean, 116 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is true, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get two on. days worth of football. <laughs> we'll get on to that. Um, uh, now, John, we're going to have four days of will Gareth play 4-3-3. We're recording this before the Wales-USA game, so we don't know if Wales have won 7-2 against the United States yet. We don't know if you know, they are a, a top side in this, but... I'm minded to agree with Barry. I've always thought I liked that Southgate stuck to what he wanted to do and didn't get influenced from outside. But the way they played today, and you look at Wales and USA, you think, well, he should just do the same formation for the next game. And I guess I guess the converse argument is it would mean that we would go up against a top team, if I'm not getting too carried away, and change formation, and that might be risky. I, I don't know what you think. Yeah, I, I, th- I suppose the thing is, if you play the same formation as the other opposition, then you are essentially beyond obvious various tactical nuances. You're probably relying on your players being better than the players they're up against. Now, against USA and Wales, that you would suggest probably isn't that much of a problem. I mean, you know, 
one of the things watching that game is you realise the high quality of the Premier League. I'm not I'm not the big the Premier League's biggest hype man, but you realise that these are players used to playing at a high level, uh, and against opponents like Iran, it's quite easy. Southgate. It was interesting that he made that switch, but again, I suppose it was down to personnel. Kyle Walker's not available, who's such a reliable player, playing off in that defensive three. So he he showed that he is tactically flexible. Um, and you would expect that if he can go later in the tournament, he would be a bit more, there would be a few more, a few lesser risk-taking values played in matches you know maybe you might see Calvin Phillips return maybe you might see um you know three at the back five at the back whatever you want to call it but for the moment I mean the, the issue is getting points on the board getting your attacking players on the game and when you've got on the field and when you've got a player like Jude Bellingham who can drive at them from midfield and add to that dimension to attack why not go for it get the job done early Dr. Simon says Carlos Quiros coaches a defensive Iranian side who are hard to break down. Discuss. Yes, Barry, I, everyone had told me this was going to be a grind. So I confidently went on the radio and said, this is going to be a grind. England fans need to be patient. Southgate out will be trending after 60 minutes. But they didn't offer anything, really, did they? No, it was a feeble effort. And I presume conceding six goals or three by half time wasn't part of Quiros's game plan but England were just much better than them so you know that's what happens <laughs> <laughs> well I suppose so isn't there more to it than that John you have to wonder uh if there was some element of distraction going on from the issues back in Iran and the pressures being placed on them obviously we had the issue of the the national anthem not being sung and the reaction to that you know these people uh as Nadam says you know some of them are aware of current affairs, others aren't. You can't imagine that the Iranian players are not aware of current affairs back in Iran. Um, so they enter the tournament under a lot of pressure and maybe it's not so much of a surprise that they fold under it. David actually says, can we have a moment to contrast the bravery and power of the Iranian players refusing to sing their national anthem in contrast to what he says are the callow abandonment of the One Love armband? The thing was already a compromise and the countries that signed up to it were cowed by a yellow card. Um, what, do you think that's fair, Nathan? We heard Barney saying, "Look, I, you know, he would it wouldn't put it on Harry Kane, right? Harry Kane is a nice guy who cares about these things, isn't necessarily a politician." But I wonder if the FA could have been stronger. I, I don't know. The way these FIFA and UEFA tournaments work, they're very much um, kind of set in stone in terms of what things will look like. Like you can't just have a random training top. The branding has to be a certain size. You must do things this way. You must do things that way. So that is the standard. So in this moment where the the World Cup arrives in Qatar and everyone knows the great conversations that are going on, a group of countries saying that they and it's not and for the record, it's not every country. I think that's one thing about perspective which probably gets forgotten to a certain extent. And they think that something should be done which they believe is right without the backing of the governing body is never going to happen. So in in relation to that. The, the armbands were never going to be sanctioned because it would create a precedent. And when we then fast forward to future World Cups, as is the case in four years' time, what happens with the people who don't believe in the fundamental nature of what America is and them themselves deciding to wear something or put something forward, which would maybe cause controversy from the perspective of those who are allies with America, whether it's to do with things like Roe v. Wade or to do with, say, um, the fact that Central American workers 
are, you know, they're, they're vastly responsible for a lot of the creation of infrastructure within the country. And, you know, other things like the fact that Donald Trump could be president and he was the person who was responsible essentially for a Muslim ban of people traveling into the country. You know, there's a lot of stuff Mm-hmm. which other countries would feel is right and just for them to be able to wear at a World Cup. I think, I think what Nadeem says makes makes a lot of sense. I think one thing I thought about this was um, uh, when the FAs pull out, obviously uh, the players are, they don't really have to make a decision. Um, but you do wonder um, with with certain footballers, and listen, I'm not a footballer, I, I don't know any of the pressures involved, but these, as we said before, th- these players follow current affairs they they are aware most of these um most of these football most of the england players have children um and they, they sh- it does seem that as though because you're a footballer you are almost protected you almost uh hermetically sealed away from what might be the problem and i think the i suppose the issue at the heart of it is the football more important than the issues at heart to do with lgbtq plus rights or human rights of, of migrant workers. If you think the football's more important, okay. Uh, but there might be those that do think it, it it's more important to, to take a stand. And so far, we haven't seen that. And I don't know what that says about footballers. I don't know what that says uh, about the way that footballers are, are treated and managed by their individual FAs. Yeah, I, I, the, the thing that struck me, Barry, was I, I would have liked Kane to wear it anyway even though I didn't, like a lot of people didn't think this armband meant a massive amount in the first place. But it's really easy for me sitting here in my spare room on a Zoom call to ask someone else to be brave when I don't actually ever have to do that in the public eye. I'd have worn it. And I'm surprised how angry the decision not to wear it made me, actually. I'm not a member of the LGBTQ plus community i'm not english if if an irish team had buckled in the face of the slightest pressure from fifa like that i'd be disgusted it was already a fairly pitiful token gesture anyway and today as far as i can tell fifa and the fa and i don't think the players uh should get a pass either of england of wales the netherlands and other european teams they've basically excluded and abandoned the LBGTQ plus community from their game. They've basically said, we're prepared to stick up for you, but only as long as it comes at no personal or professional inconvenience to us in any way. To be honest, Barry, like, I totally understand your opinion. I understand your stance, but I think you're somebody who appears to be comfortable to be outspoken, but that isn't necessarily the case for everybody. I like even listeners of this show might totally agree with you, but then they are also not doing anything themselves. And I don't want to turn it into a whataboutism, but I've seen it through football for many years. People have opinions about this, that, and the other, but they do find it quite hard sometimes to be open and to be out there. And some of them do have a platform and use it very, very well, but that isn't the case for everybody. I think universally to be, from my opinion, to expect everybody to be as outspoken as somebody like yourself, who's very, very strong in it. Like you're not the mean you're literally one of the stronger voices when it comes down to these things which is why i felt frustrated by it well I, i'm actually not i'm i'm, I'm but you said you said you said you were disgusted and sickened by them not wearing the armband himself yeah and i also said i was surprised by how disgusted and sickened i was but i was genuinely yeah, angry that's, that's what i'm saying earlier today i've calmed down since but we've got this sort of stereotype that some footballs are thick but 
How can football also be thick and keeping track of current affairs and be really in-depth about it? The knowledge about what's going on in Qatar isn't something which just lands at your doorstep should you live in your own bubble itself. I think overall it's something which you look into and see stuff which is written by people who have done their research and really dug into it. But as a, as footballers go, and to be honest, a lot of people as well, they're looking at the headlines, not fully getting into the stories. So the passion that you have comes from the knowledge that you have, but not everybody has that knowledge, nor do they have the sense of courage to be as outspoken as to go against uh, FIFA, to go against their teammates and stuff. Like some people would, and if you were playing, I'm sure you would. But in that situation, you'd always be the exception as opposed to the rule. Uh, the um, uh, statement from the Seven Football Association said, we're very frustrated by the FIFA decision, which we believe is unprecedented. FIFA has been very clear that it will impose sporting sanctions if our captains wear the armbands on the field of play. We cannot put our players in the situation where they might be booked or even forced to leave the field of play. The Guardian spoken to Qatari and FIFA sources insisted the decision was taken purely by football's governing body and that there had been no pressure from Qatar Regarding the armband, FIFA said in a statement, FIFA can confirm its no discrimination campaign has been brought forward from the planned quarterfinal stage in order that all 32 captains will have the opportunity to wear the armband. They went on to say that FIFA is an inclusive organisation that wants to put football to the benefit of society by supporting good and legitimate causes, but it has to be done within the framework of the competition regulations, which are known to everyone. Before we end this part, I just Barry want to get you to get on your high horse and bang your drum. Um, Iran's keeper, Ali Reiser, Byron Vand, um, clearly concussed after that collision. They He was down for ages. They put an entirely new kit on him, shirts and shorts, I think, as well. Splashed some water on his face, let him carry on. And then, obviously, he was not in a, in a fit state to continue. And compare that with, I guess, Harry Maguire, who they took off when it was obvious that he, he wasn't right. Clearly different stages of the game. So easier to be right when there's nothing riding on it, I guess. But still, the protocols are in place and they're not being used. Yeah, and look, it's the same as I always say. It's a disgrace that he was allowed to continue. Uh, there was actually a worse incident at a rugby match in Dublin over the weekend um, when the Australian player Nick White, who was clearly concussed and could barely stand, uh, was allowed to continue by an independent supervisor. But they don't still don't have the independent supervisors in, in club football or international football. They don't have a proper concussion protocol or con- and that needs to be rectified, blah, blah, blah. No one seems to care. And I hope uh, Mr. Barnvand is okay. Uh, all right, that'll do for part one. Uh, part two, we'll look at uh, the Wales versus the United States. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST.
Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. So uh, the USA won, Wales won. Ben, in the 78th minute message to say, my heart can't take a sad Ellis James voice note on the pod. Come on, Wales. Well, shortly after, Gareth Bale won and scored that penalty. Here is Ellis from the Al Ryan Stadium. Well, it's the man again. Gareth Bale getting us out of jail. <laughs> we, were, we were dreadful in the first half. I don't know why... Uh, Rob Page didn't start Kiefer Moore I can understand why he didn't start Joe Allen because of his uh, injuries clearly not fit I don't know if he's saving him for the second game we were I, we just never got out the blocks in the first half and then he brought on Kiefer Moore in the second half uh, Rob Page made a change at half time and we looked far better and then it's Gareth Bale aye aye and then it's Simon Limitristan and then it's uh, <laughs> it's Gareth Bale with a late penalty, and we haven't lost. Thank Christ, um, Max. Uh, I love you, uh, Wilson. Huge admirer, Barney Roney. Huge admirer, Barry. You're always my number one. Shmai, hello. Uh, my friend Tristan's lost his passport. Bit of fun. Um, sorry if I sound a bit croaky. Uh, they don't accept. Um, Mastercard, only Visa, uh, and I've got a a, a, a Mastercard de- a debit card. I don't know why that is. Uh, Taking up a Santander. Um, anyway, one all. We're still in it. Hello. We're still in with a shout. <laughs> this is useless. I'd be absolutely astonished if you put this out. Anyway, we go again. Don't know what you said, but I imagine it was emotional. Um, game of the tournament for me so far. Players collapsing all over the place. Occasionally no midfield anywhere. And a, a real game of two halves, Barry. Yeah, it could have gone either way. Wales were unspeakably bad in the first half. I don't know if... I thought first it might have been because they, they just didn't have the legs. They were carrying too many unfit passengers. And by unfit par- passengers, I mean Aaron Ramsey and... and Gareth Bale, which are kind of nice passengers to have on board. But I, I think maybe they were just a little nervous or overwhelmed because um, when Kiefer Moore came on in the second half, and he was brilliant, the, it, the game changed completely. I think they were well worth their draw and possibly could have won it. I mean, I love a target man, Nadem. You know, and I know target, target <laughs> men existed in your day, and then it feels that, well, that wasn't that long ago, wow. I guess. But it feels like there was a kind of black <laughs> hole of target men. There was a time when they didn't exist. And and somehow there are quite a few of them kicking around the best league in the world in the, the uh, uh, to hype up the Premier League a little bit more. But but he was brilliant, Kiefer Moore, tonight, wasn't he? Yeah, he certainly was. He certainly was. And I think um, that whole thing about a target man, it just keeps you honest. Because as a defence, you can have lots of like really nice players around you have nice movements, bit of flick flack, this, that, and the other. But when a ball's in the air and someone at six foot four is jumping in the air, desperate to win it, and you've got two other people around them trying to get the second ball, it's really hard. Like, I think there were so many times where for Wales, you know, they decided that, you know, possession is okay, but territory's better. And it always helps when you've got a willing runner, somebody that's that big, you can spin a ball down the channel, you can play it to his chest. And they're really running and, and making that US defence really sort of have to just... Uh, What's the best way to describe? It? I don't know. Just, just tough, just toughen up. Because before that, in the first half, USA were kind of having their way. They were moving the ball side to side, turning, running at them. But for Wales, they said, "Right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get up behind it. We're going to win second balls, 
and we're going to try and play in their half. And I thought they were exceptional for Kiefer Moore. You know, he might not be everyone's favourite player ever, but I guarantee you, if he's in your side and you play the way that you can, it allows you the chance to attack quicker. It allows you the chance to push the opposition back. Because for, interestingly, USA for me, with Sargent, they didn't have the out ball when they were really under pressure, but they couldn't play through uh, Wales the way they could in the first half. So what, you know, it just goes to show sometimes keeping it distinctly direct makes a big difference because it just makes the other side have to be more honest in terms of how they defend against you. Funny world if Kiefer Moore was everybody's favourite player ever. (laughs) Changed the (laughs) discourse of football quite a lot. But, John, he has a good touch for a big... It was from back heel he put through that was just sensational. Yeah, yeah. um, yeah, I've enthused about the the wonder of Kiefer Moore before uh, on this pod. Uh, And, uh, yeah, he's been excellent for Bournemouth. Uh, Maybe slightly belated uh, role in Bournemouth season. Um, (laughs) No. I uh, again, I expose myself as a complete dinosaur, but yeah, I love watching the big target men. The problems they cause more than the problems that they cause for for defenses that are unfamiliar to play against. Now, having said that, Tim Ream uh, has played Championship football and will have played against his fair share of Kiefer Moores. Um, but it was um, it was his mate Walker Zimmerman who really messed Walker up. Walker Zimmerman. Actually, I have an apology. Yeah, not, I have an apology yeah. to make. I have blamed Tim Ream because I don't really think you should have two centre backs with top knots and beards. No, well, one of them, they do have different coloured hair, so you know it's a yeah. Uh, no, uh, yeah, Walker, Walker Zimmerman, um, and the, the, always the telltale sign of, of a foul made in the penalty area. The wagging finger made in the in the set. The wagging finger made in the same movement <laughs> in which he's made the foul. Oh dear! An absolute dead What's giveaway. Guilty what as is sin. He doing? <laughs> you know, hey, let me let me just get my sorry one second. Let's get my defenders union card okay. out here just for a split second. <laughs> So, so Gareth Bale, obviously, you know, is an incredible player, all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. We've been through it many times over. But I thought he was actually quite poor in the game. But the thing which he did to win that penalty is the t- sort of stuff that sets him apart from others. Because Walker Zimmerman, if he made the foul, he thought he was clear to clear the ball. He wasn't really trying to make a tackle. So as he's trying to make that movement, lo and behold, Bale finds that little bit of extra speed. And he knows that if he gets there first, there will be a foul. So it's one of those skills of the game which not everybody has because I know tons of people are just scared to get tackled in general. But for him to be able to do that and for Walker, like he would have been, when he went to try and make the action, he would have been a 100% sure that this was going to be essentially uncontested in the right spot. And then before you know it, somebody goes and like, Bale's not trying to do anything progressive with it. He's just trying to get there first. And he did. That's the bit of magic he has. And then, you know, he steps up on the big moment and he's a hero because, you know, sometimes you only need to play for 30 seconds and that's that's you, the hero. I was going to say, Barry, he found that extra bit of speed, clearly saving it up for just that moment <laughs> in that match. <laughs> yeah, and it's unfortunate because um, on the back of that, just brilliant back heel from, from Keith from Moore, which I thought was quite unfair on, on the ITV commentary, Clive Tilsley and Johnny Hartson. He got no credit for it whatsoever. And it was like, I thought, the most sublime bit of skill in the game. So he's put <laughs> Brennan Johnson through down the inside right. And Brennan Johnson, because Bale had already used his one spurt of speed, his one tur- <laughs> available <laughs> turbo boost, he wasn't able to get up, just quite up enough in time to, to for Johnson to square the ball his way. And if he had, that would have almost certainly been a winner for Wales in the the 89th or 90th minute. Um, so yeah, it's a little unfortunate that he only had the one the one um, go on his afterburners. 
It was a good penalty, John. And and it was a and actually it's one of the first stadiums that looked like it had actual fans of the country in it, didn't it? And like that moment was a really you're like, oh, this is actually a World Cup. You have to say it. Signs of empty seats. You didn't have to look too hard for it. Will Team USA think that one got away? I think they should do. Christian Pulisic looked really good in the first half, I thought. Um, we know what a talented player he is. We know uh, how intermittent that talent can be at times. Did they, I mean, oh, Timothy Wales took his goal well, but did they suffer from maybe not putting Wales away in that first half when they had the chance to do so? Because it, it felt like me, uh, until the, the blessed Kiefer Moore, our, our favourite player of the World Cup so far, came on. Wales didn't really have an out ball. Um, I like Dan James as a player, but uh, I do think he's oft, he's too often used as that player on the counter, which is just smash it in the direction of Dan James and hope that he'll chase it because he's really quick. It didn't really work out for Rob Page. And actually, uh, another thing, let's credit Rob Page for making that switch, tactical switch. This is a guy who, uh, reading his preview quotes from yesterday, said... You know, I've done the hard yards in football and he, he was a hard player as well, you have to say. And uh, yeah, it's good to see someone like that on a stage like that producing for his country. And and also, uh, the other thing is, and this is what we watch the World Cup for, really enjoying the moment as well. It was brilliant. I, I might disagree with you. Do you agree, Nadim? I mean, the US, and we've got a lot of listeners in the US, they will be disappointed because they... Totally dominated that first half. I, I, I can't. I guess I can't remember Hennessy making a bunch of brilliant saves, but they were so dominant, and they and they just sort of stopped. Yeah, um, I've got the stats in front of me, and I, I, Wayne didn't make a save. He conceded the goal, but that was the only time uh, the USA had a shot on target. And interestingly, so I'm actually I was actually watching the game amongst some um, American broadcasters, and one of them, Hercules Gomez, who played for the USA. And before the game, they were talking like, would the USA accept, would they accept a draw? Then it's 1-0 and you see in the way the first half's going and they're quite impressed. But then the second half started and you could see Wales taking it to them that bit more and they were very, very uncomfortable. I think they knew that they needed to make a couple of changes. And I think the USA might have the youngest squad in the whole tournament, perhaps, or second youngest. So they're, they're aware of the fact that they have potential, but they were watching as they weren't able to manage the moment. And I think there were one or two players and changes which they needed to make, which they maybe didn't make on time. And I think that's probably going to be a criticism, in fact, that the manager didn't sort of see the tide was turning and make the adjustment. Because ultimately, if you want to be successful, the margins at this sort of level can be so, so small. And look at the difference, like Wales first half to Wales second half. What's the adjustment? They're more direct. Well, how do you counter that? I think at times they probably needed someone to maybe put the foot on the ball a little bit, contain possession a bit better. But credit to Wales, they made USA change the way they were playing because they were feeling more pressure higher up. And at that point, you know, if you're an American at the back and you don't have someone to play the ball to in midfield, you're going to look longer. But as you look longer, you're looking at someone like Sargent, who is basically outmatched by the centre-backs that are there alongside him. So I think they will feel like that was dropped. They will feel that because at the start, for how bad Wales were, they think, well, we should be winning these games. But come the end of it, you know, they've realised that, you know, this is... It, this is the World Cup and whichever side you think they, that you're playing against, they will have a spell. And if you don't capitalise on your spell, then this can happen to you. They needed Josie Altador, didn't they? That's what they were missing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I know it doesn't count uh, probably among the USA shots and target, but Wayne Hennessy did have to 
to save a Joe Roden point blank <laughs> header before the States went to go along. It's a very good point. I did enjoy John Hartson as well going quite Jack Charlton in co-coms by, by the end just yelling, foul, foul, anything. Uh, Rob says, is the person calculating the stoppage time also doing the attendances? It's interesting. It's all this, all this stoppage time, and it probably is all valid. I remember they did a, I wrote a piece about it and, I think somebody just went through the whole 2018 World Cup or 2014 World Cup and realised that basically there's not enough injury time and it should be about this much. But it is always odd when it's above five, isn't it? It's up six, you go, that's as big as it's going to be. But, you know, when it's going into double figures, you think, oh, this is this sort of extra football that you might have to, you know, and the players were sort of collapsing. They were on their knees. And there's constant players just lying on the floor. Barry. Well, it's, it's like when you walk onto a, a tube platform on the London Underground and you look up to see when the next one's coming. And if it's anything over three minutes, it's like, oh, Christ, bloody hell. That's far <laughs> too long. And, um, yeah, if I was one of those players out there and I saw the board going up with nine or ten, it's, ugh. Too bad. And even as, you know, just sitting on my sofa, I'm a bit like, ah, ah, come on, <laughs> bloody hell. Worth pointing out that Grant Wall, the US journalist, uh, says he was detained by security staff after he wore a rainbow shirt uh, to this game. Said a security guard told him the shirt was not allowed. Said his phone was forcibly ripped from his hands uh, by a guard as he tweeted about it. He said he was detained for 25 minutes, told to remove his shirt. Uh, which a member of security staff says was political, while said he was subsequently allowed to wear the shirt in the stadium. Elsewhere, a Wales LGBTQ plus supporters group, the Rainbow Wall, said some of its members were forbidden from wearing rainbow hats at the same game. FIFA has said everyone is welcome at this year's World Cup. They told us recently they were confident that all necessary measures will be in place for LGBTQI plus fans and allies to enjoy the tournament in a welcoming and safe environment. Uh, that'll do for part two. Part three, we'll do the classic that was Netherlands 2, Senegal 0. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. So, uh, Netherlands beat Senegal 2 0. Barry, you were on the minute by minute. Blimey, I bet you felt every single one of those minutes. Um, I've done worse. I thought the first half was reasonably absorbing and then the second half was, was quite poor until the final 10 minutes. Both, both sides, you know, they looked, they were trading blows in the first half or, you know, glancing blows at best, I suppose. And Netherlands looked, they looked a bit nervous. Virgil van Dijk made a few mistakes. Frankie de Jong kept giving the ball away. Um throughout the game actually he was very good for the most part but he he does have a or he had a propensity to give the ball away in this game at least and uh Schmilisar was causing Matthias de Ligt all sorts of problems um in the absence of Sadio Mane obviously who who was missing for Senegal and will miss the tournament yeah in the end Cody Gakpo who was pretty probably the Netherlands best player he scored in the 84th minute with a a good, you know, perfectly timed run onto a Frankie de Jong cross and he sort of found himself on the edge of the six-yard box with Edouard Mende charging towards him. It was quite a brave header into the, the gaping goal. And then, um, who was it, Davy Klassen scored in the ninth minute of added time, I think it was, just to, to make sure. But yeah, it wasn't a particularly good game. 
it was watched by uh, 41,721 people, according to the official attendance. That's 1,721 over the stadium capacity. And this, <laughs> the stadium was quite clearly not full at any point during the game. I think at best it may have been three quarters full. Mick says, uh, how, just how will Manchester United ruin Cody Gakpo? Um, and Don David Klassen, Ben says, I, I know World Cups, international tournaments are great for seeing players you'd forgotten about, but is David Klassen still really only 29? Feels like he'd been 29 for a decade. I mean, Mendy, Nadem, was, I think, probably at fault for both those goals, wasn't he? Yeah, de- like definitely the second one. But in regards to the first one, you know, he's made a very, very early decision. And the only thing that would probably look more weird than him punching fresh air is if he came halfway out and then just stood there. And, you know, it's, um, it's, it was a good ball by De Jong. It's a, it's a good run by Gakpo and the header is good and all that stuff. But it's a shame. It's just that bit of decision-making. If he didn't come out, I think it'd probably be a tough shot to save anyway. But it's disappointing because you do sort of look at him. If a goalkeeper comes out and punches nothing, it's, you, it's very hard to not point the finger at them. And then for the second one, you're looking thinking he's... It felt weird that he pushed the ball out that far. It didn't feel like it was the best of strikes, but as we can probably all hear the goalkeepers' union typing up now, saying this is the this is what we do. This is page two of the goalkeepers' manual, but it didn't look right. And then for them to score that, that's that's the dagger. That's the game, all said and done. And I don't know. It kind of feels like him for the last few weeks just hasn't been as good as he was in the past. But he's the reigning best goalkeeper or something, isn't he? I'm sure he'll be fine. But in these moments, like as Barry said. Like Netherlands have won 2 0, but there's not that much between the two sides, but still the result's gone that way. And it can come from little moments like that. And you hope that it doesn't affect mm-hmm. his confidence because if they're to have a chance in terms of progressing through this group, they need to get two good results in the next two games. Then a goalkeeper without confidence is the last thing that you need. Speaking of um, target men, uh, waxing lyric about Kiefer Moore, John. Lumen says, it's only half time. I don't want to jinx it, but this is the first time in my memory I've seen Spurs legend, trademark Vincent Janssen, have a genuinely good <laughs> performance. Is that too harsh or too premature? And actually, the Dutch could feel the front three of Vincent Janssen, Luke de Jong and Wout Weghorst, <laughs> yeah. which is target, target, target. Well, it's one of those things about, about uh, the Dutch masters is that they don't mind getting it launched. Uh, I, I recall Gary Lineker saying that... Um, when he was playing for Barcelona and uh, Johan Cruyff was a manager, say they were losing the last five minutes, they'd whack up Alisanko, who you must think of as a Catalan, Steve Bruce, and just smash it into the box. And uh, it often paid off. And are you saying are you saying Van Bronckhorst to Bergkamp is getting it launched? Yeah, funnily enough, it is, isn't it? You know, it, the, the, the long... The, it, yes, it is. The Dutch... The, the Dutch philosophy is about the use of space and if that isn't a use of space then I don't know what is but 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 I mean yeah, it's yeah. a very Van Hal type of team where I look at them and I, I wonder where all these players are going to fit in there didn't appear to be any midfield which I recall from my days watching the Van Hal team and th- there was the point where it was so grim a, a, a match a, 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 as much as Barry enjoyed it that I thought it cast me it, it cast me back to my days at Old Trafford watching Louis in charge and I am one of uh, I must pronounce myself as a big Louis fan mostly for his press conferences but um, I, I wanted to talk actually about the goalkeeper Andries yes. Noppert yeah Rich says what's the story with the Dutch keeper is, he, is he's the Dutch Richard Wright well he's six foot eight which I think yeah. is um, and again Louis is following in a Dutch tradition 
Uh, and of course, he Louis as an international manager is famous for switching goalies around in 2014. Costa Rica, what's it? Uh, Jasper Sillison off for Tim Krul, yeah. But um, and also following in the tradition of 1974, where they actually had a, a pretty good goalkeeper, Jan van Berveren, I think. And it was decided that they want a guy called Jan Youngblood would play instead uh, in 1974 when his previous appearance for the international team had been in 1962. Great. The other goalkeeper they've got, of course, is the Ajax guy, Remco Pasvir, who's 38. Uh, yeah, it looks oh, like the gray looks a bit fella. like Jimmy Bullard yes. you know, with the with the with the top knot. And <laughs> yes. there's just something about Dutch goalies; they're just always interested with Ed De Huey and, and and you know Van der Sar. Uh, you know, all quite strange looking characters, but they're all pretty good. He was a brilliant goalkeeper. Well, Van der Sar was brilliant. I mean, Andreas Nopper is 28. His career is in nine years. He's got 45 <laughs> appearances in club football. That's ridiculous. Basically, never played a football match. That's insane. Well, I think it was only a couple of years ago he didn't have a club and was consider seriously considering packing in football to join the Dutch police force. And coincidentally, actually, Edward Mendy was in much the same position. Was he also joining the Dutch police? Force? I don't think That's he was. I don't think he was going to join the Dutch <laughs> police force. But he was unemployed and getting on the dole. Like he didn't. And then uh, I think he got a gig with Leon or someone as their fourth choice goalkeeper, mm, that's dri- right. yeah, playing right. for minimum wage or something. So um, yeah, uh, nice stories. There's still hope for us, Max and John, isn't there? But you know, I think six foot eight is quite ominous for a policeman, isn't it? Just to stare down, especially if he had one of the big. <laughs> I don't know what the Dutch police hat is like, but if it's like a sort of Bobby's hat, it'd be like eight foot in the I'm, air. I'm, wouldn't I'm just it? thinking back to Van der Valk, what hats answered they were, but you know, I saw, Van der Valk. It's yeah, sort, sort of like a sort of like a cloth cap, I think. Is yes, it's more. It's more. It's more. Yeah, it's more French policeman from a lower low, isn't it? Type sort of. Sort of, it's not a flat cap, is it? But it's it's not a baseball. It's hat, not the Bobby's a, helmet. No, no, no. It's not the Bobby's helmet. Uh, anyway, yeah, nice to see Van Hal. You know, with Edgar Davids and Danny Blint. You know, just sort of getting any ex Dutch legend around them. Um, I, I I feel strongly about the orangeness of the Dutch kit. I know Barry doesn't care about kits. They're just a functional thing for him. So you can sort of separate the two teams. I don't know, John or Nadem, if either of you think that is not orange enough apparently it's laser orange and not the not the oh. normal orange that they use Naden played in laser blue of course mm, Manchester yeah. City yeah, yeah. I, I didn't notice that it was laser orange to be honest no. I need to go and sort of figure out no, this I whole didn't. colour palette thing I've let myself down Fine. apologies no, no, that's okay did you ever care about your like did you care massively about your kit um, let's be honest as long as I was wearing it during the game and I wasn't just yeah. sitting on the sideline <laughs> watching it ultimately no I was quite happy I was quite happy uh, lovely to see John Champion and Ali McCoist back quite harder for you know Ali to talk about the history of this you know of each town he goes to because <laughs> he's in the same one for every game that he'll talk about um, uh, Jim says like at AFCON refs have got their surnames on the back of their shirts I didn't notice that um, thoughts Barry a good or a bad thing I uh, didn't notice either, I must confess. I don't think it really makes a one bit of difference. I'm surprised <laughs> FIFA haven't made them remove their names from their kit <laughs> in case it might be construed as some sort of political message. Are the Dutch good, Nadem, but finally on this game? I think I think they are good. They are kind of flawed as well, but they are good. And ultimately, it's just about winning games, isn't it? So I think the fact they've started off with the with the win and three points, like it's, it's the breathing space that you need because you'd fancy them 
objectively to to beat Qatar. So you're realistically thinking, well, they've made it through. That was possibly one of their tougher parts of the thing. So uh, yeah, they're they're a good team. They're a good team. I don't see many people thinking they're going to go all the way because it does feel like they're kind of missing something, but they will be solid, but eventually broken down by a better side, it feels like at the moment. I think if you'd never heard of the Netherlands and just happened to watch this game, you would not have been impressed. True. I mean, probably not that many people in that position. <laughs> Sorry to be to be a pedant. Um, in, in other news, a um, message from Alex Fletcher. Uh, we talked about him, the Bath City centre-forward who... Uh, got seriously injured when he went into an advertising, not an advertising hoarding, it was like concrete, wasn't it, at Twerton Park, uh, sent a message saying, thank you all so much for your kindness, generosity, message of goodwill that you've sent to me through what's been the most challenging period of my life. I'm now off the intensive care unit and continuing my recovery on the neurosurgery ward, assisted by the wonderful staff and nurses here. I want to say a special thank you to all those who've been looking after me and my family and to everyone who's contributed to the GoFundMe page, which will help me get back to doing what I love to do as soon as possible. It will be a long road to recovery. I will draw on all the love and support that everyone has shown every step of the way. Looking forward to seeing you all in the future. In the meantime, up the Roman. So that is wonderful to hear. We obviously send him and his family uh, at the very best. Um, a couple of important questions on Gillingham, um, which of course is bound to run through this whole tournament. Charlie says, do the panel think Neil Harris deserves more time at Gillingham? Michael says, not a question. You should know that the brilliant comedian and sometimes Guardian podcaster Andy Daltzman is a proud Gillingham fan. Up the gulls. Uh, Barry, I'll give you the final word. Neil Harris, give him more time. I didn't know Neil Harris was at Gillingham. <laughs> I have to say, I, I, I knew he was no longer a Cardiff and kind of lost track of him after that. Well, we found well, him, and he's here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it's a but, wonderful um, moment. Yeah, um, quite like Neil Harris. So, yeah, give him more time. Great. Uh, by the way, producer Joel says it's up the gills, not up the gulls. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. My apologies. I was just, I was just reading what was put in front of me, like Ron Burgundy. Uh, anyway, look, that'll do for today. Um, uh, thank you so much for your time, John. Uh, cheers, Max. Thank you, Nadem. Thank you very much. Thank you, Barry. You're welcome. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Max Silas, and we'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. 